got to give it up. The views expressed on this episode of Walking Through the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions with Chris Schroeder do not necessarily reflect those of KHLT Recovery Broadcasting or our affiliates. KHLT is not affiliated with any particular 12-step fellowship. Now here's those two guys who investigate prior to contempt, Chris and the Monty Man. Well, greetings, family, and welcome to Take12Radio.com on your internet dial to Walking Through the 12 Steps and 12 tradition, Traditions with uh, Chris Schroeder. Chris, welcome once again. Thank you, Monty. It's a pleasure to be here. We uh, left off last week with part one of step 11, and we're going to delve into part two of step 11. And uh, do you want to kind of give a summary of last week and then move into this? Sure. Bring, bring us up to speed. Yeah. You know, I, I love this step. I love the writings uh, that Bill uh, put together for the book, uh, 12 Steps and 12 Traditions. Uh, but I especially like his writings on step 11. Uh, you know, step, step 11 is such a, such a great step. Uh, I, I was talking a little bit last week about, uh, about how you get uh, a lot of bang for your buck, about how, you know, immediately you can start to get uh, uh, a really great benefit when you start to practice uh, prayer and you start to practice meditation. And uh, there's just something real centering about uh, about prayer and meditation. You can, uh, you can so ease the emotional storm that goes on. If you're an alcoholic, you're prone to uh, emotional storms <laughs> of one kind or another. They they can yeah. be uh, they can be depression. They can be anger. Uh, they can be self pity. Uh, but I really truly believe that when you uh, when you start practicing step eleven as a discipline, uh, you're going to be able to um, to to uh, remove so much of that turbulence from your life. And uh, it's just it's just a wonderful step. I, I I believe very very strongly in the fact that we need to have God's help to be able to overcome alcoholism. You know, one of the one of the unfortunate things, Matia. I was I was talking to someone who's uh, who's basically going to school and they're almost finished with uh, uh, with the, with their degree, and they've been studying everything they can possibly study. Uh, as far as addictive illness treatment is concerned, then they're gonna, you know, they're gonna graduate, and they're gonna have their uh, their uh, clinical uh, uh, addiction certificate, the CDAC or whatever it is. Right. And and you know, there's a whole every six months is a, a whole new group of professionals that are, are being turned out, uh, you know, into the world uh, with these degrees and and uh, with the intent of you know, being a professional addiction counselor or alcoholism counselor. And one of the sad things is that this this woman is basically getting her getting her uh, license. She's been very active in recovery for a long time and understands experientially the power of the 12 steps and the power of uh, of recovery fellowships. 
And, you know, she's basically telling me the arguments that she seems to have with all these people all the time. They, they don't understand powerlessness. They don't understand the, the first step. That's not something that gets taught uh, to these people. It's, it's more about, you know, if, if you're an alcoholic or you're an addict, then you've made bad choices. <laughs> you, you need to make better <laughs> choices in your life. It's, it's, it's cognitive. Now, from my own personal experience, and I know I can speak for you too, Monty, and, and probably a million other alcoholics and addicts uh, in the world, is that, you know, if it was just about making better choices, we would have made better choices. You bet. Sure if it bet. was just about deciding to, you know, hitch up your bootstraps and, and do things in a better way, we would have hitched up our bootstraps, you know, we... we it wasn't. It wasn't lack of uh, uh, lack of understanding. It was lack of power. Now, here's here's why I think step eleven is is, is so important. Is you know, step one is basically I'm powerless. If I don't have the power, the actual interventionary power of God, I am going to die. Uh, probably a wretched, uh, drug addicted or alcoholic death. You know, that's step one. And if you sugarcoat it, you're not doing anybody any good. Uh, step two is well. Wait a minute. Uh, there's a, the, you know you can come to believe in a power greater than yourself. Step three, you can uh, make a decision to turn your will and your life over to the care of that power greater than yourself, and that will enable you to uh, recover from alcoholism and drug addiction and get most most areas of your life back in in shape. You know, step four is inventorying what's blocking you off from that power greater than yourself. Step five is sharing with God and another person about the, the truth of those things that are blocking you off from a power greater than yourself. Uh, step six and seven are becoming willing to have that power greater than yourself, remove your character defects, and becoming willing to have that power greater than yourself, remove those, those defects of character. Step eight and nine are basically about, um, uh, about putting, uh, putting into action the things that you can do to, uh, to fix uh, the harms that you've caused in the past, uh, step eight, eight and nine, so that you can have a better relationship with the power greater than yourself. And step ten is learning how to put all of those tools into practice on a daily basis, so that you can stay as close in touch with that power greater than yourself uh, as you possibly can. And step eleven is, you know, growing and understanding and effectiveness, seeking it. Uh, a deeper and more profound relationship with that power greater than yourself, which is uh, which is keeping you sober and helping you to, to to put a put a new life together. You know, so so step eleven is you know we're we're well underway as far as uh, our life uh, becoming uh, you know becoming a recovered life. And step eleven is is more about uh, uh, improving that connection and. And uh, showing the the thanks that we have to that power greater than ourselves. Uh, does that does that make any sense, Bonnie? A- absolutely, and, and it only makes sense to me when they're done in that order, one through, and we're up to eleven now. Because p- people jump all over the place and they wonder why they're not getting the results that's in the promises of each step. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, I totally agree. Okay, we are. Uh, we're on the bottom of page 100 in the book, 12 Steps and 12 Traditions. When by such simple devices we have placed ourselves in a mood in which we can focus undisturbed on constructive imagination, 
we might proceed like this. Once more, we read our prayer. And if you remember from last, uh, last week, it was the prayer of St. Francis. Uh, right. And like, you, like you were saying, Monty, it wasn't really uh, a prayer that was written by St. Francis. It was a prayer that was attributed to him. Yeah. That was, uh, that was kind of interesting. Anyway, it says here, once more we read our prayer. And again, try to see what its inner essence is. We'll think now about the man who first uttered the prayer. First of all, he wanted to become a channel. Then he asked for the grace to bring love, forgiveness, harmony, truth, faith, hope, light, and joy to every human being he could. Next came the expression of an aspiration and a hope for himself. He hoped, God willing, that he might be able to find some of these treasures, too. This he would try to do by what he called self-forgetting. What did he mean by self-forgetting, and how did he propose to accomplish that? He thought it better to give comfort than to receive it, better to understand than to be understood, better to forgive than to be forgiven. This much could be a fragment of what is called meditation, perhaps our very first attempt at a mood, a flyer into the realm of the spirit, if you like. You know, Monty, uh, again, I want to I emphasize this. I know we talked about it last week, but I want to emphasize uh, meditation is different in the way Bill Wilson understood meditation. It's different than what comes into our mind today. And that's because there's been 70 years or something or 50 years, 60 years in between when he was doing his writings and, and today. And a lot of experience changed, especially in the 60s and 70s. Now, the type of meditation he was talking about was always guided, and it was it always had to do with inspired literature. It had to do with the Bible, or it had to do with a prayer, or it had to do with uh, there was a uh, uh, there was a periodical called the Upper Room. It had to do with uh, my utmost for his highest, uh, and all of these different uh, different things that they used for guidance prior to their meditation. And their meditation was a deep thought on a specific uh, prayer or a specific piece of literature. That's what meditation was. It was thinking deeply about something. Now, this is, this is something that, you know, I, I like a lot better than just trying to empty my mind, you know, which people think is mm -hmm. meditation today. They, they think that you, you try to empty as much of the thoughts out of your mind as you can, and that's meditation. And, and it is. It's, that's an Eastern type of meditation. Bill Wilson was talking about Western uh, meditation or Christian meditation, and that always has to do with thinking about um, an inspired uh, thought or passage and uh, asking yourself how you can apply those things. What does this mean for me? You know, uh, uh, how can how can this help me be helpful to other people? Right, and that's really what meditation was like uh, back back in the early days of AA. All right, it says uh, it ought to be followed by a good look at where we stand now and a further look at what might happen in our lives were we able to move closer to the ideal we have been trying to glimpse. Meditation is something which can always be further developed. It has no boundaries, either width or height. Aided by such instruction and example as we can find, it is essentially an individual adventure, something which each one of us works out in his own way. But its object is always the same, to improve our conscious contact with God, with his grace, wisdom, and love. 
And let's always remember that meditation is, in reality, intensely practical. One of its first fruits is emotional balance. With it, we can broaden and deepen the channel between ourselves and God as we understand Him. Now, what a prayer. Prayer is the raising of the heart and mind to God. And in this sense, it includes meditation. How may we go about it, and how does it fit in with meditation? Prayer, as commonly understood, is a petition to God. Having opened our channel as best we can, we try to ask for those right things of which we and others are in greatest need. And we think that the whole range of our need is well-defined by that part of Step 11, which says, knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. A request for this fits in any part of our day. Chris, can I, let me ask you a question here. Uh, <clears throat> let's go back to, uh, with it we can uh, broaden and deepen the channel between ourselves and God as we understand Him. Now, <clears throat> uh, you know, that statement, God as we understand Him, here, uh, just the fluctuation of your voice, the way you said it, <clears throat> and the way I've heard it said by, by other people that have really studied this book, is that this this at least here is is more of an action uh it, it's a living statement god as we continue to understand him if you will would you agree with that yes uh it's uh, all of all of these things are actions they require yeah. actions yes we need to believe yes we need to have faith but always we have to put these into action so it's not just this this here isn't God as he understand them to be you know this thing or that thing or whatever, but this is uh, a a living, breathing, moving in understanding of him. Yes, oh, absolutely, and yeah. you know they don't mean the doorknob. You right, know, right? Uh, uh, Bill Wilson was was very generous when he said in the beginning, your higher power can be the the group that you're going to, the twelve step fellowship that you're going to. But he's also very, very clear that that must change rather abruptly into a personal relationship with God. Now, you know, he's, he's always broad, roomy, and all-inclusive with his language about this. He's always spiritual rather than specifically religious. Right. But, uh, but make no mistake about it, he was, he was talking about, uh, about God, the monotheistic God. That's what he was talking about, and that's what uh, that's what the the all of uh, the early uh, AA members and and I, I would I would even say most of the people who have recovered from alcoholism today uh, that's their understanding of of God. Uh, again, when he says when he says as you understand him, he, he he's not meaning that God can be absolutely anything. You want it to be. I don't believe that that's really what he means. Right. I mean that he wants you to be able to meet God where you are. In other words, you, you may be a brand new newcomer to, to spirituality and to the idea of God. Uh, you know, that's, a, that's as you understand God at that point. Sure. And then you may be sober 20 years, and you may have 20 years worth of prayer and meditation under your belt and a lot of spiritual practice. And then that God, as you understand him, at that point in time. Uh, do, do you understand what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah, you bet. So anyway, that's, that's, how, I, that's how I see it. Yeah, so I many agree. times people want to, uh, want to take some of the meaning, uh, some of the words, and turn it into what they want it to mean 
which is uh, a short change of uh, of the process. Uh, I, you know, one one for instance is uh, one, one for instance is you know uh, calling uh, calling the twelve steps uh, but suggestions. Uh, again, I believe I believe the twelve step program is a suggested program of recovery. Yeah. Uh, I think if you're gonna if you're gonna do uh, a twelve step program of recovery, then you need to accept all the steps. You don't just take them uh, cafeteria style. Uh, yet you'll hear a lot of times people saying that you take what you want, you leave the rest. Uh, that's that's not been my experience. If you take what you want and leave the rest, you're gonna leave the tough stuff, and it's the tough stuff that that helps helps you recover. Yeah. Amen. You know what I mean. In the morning, we think of the hours to come. Perhaps we think of our day's work and the chances it may afford us to be useful and helpful, or of some special problem that it may bring. Po- uh, possibly today we will see a continuation of a serious and as yet unresolved problem left over from yesterday. Our immediate temptation will be to ask for specific solutions to specific problems and for the ability to help other people as we have already thought they should be helped. In that case, we are asking God to do it our way, Therefore, we ought to consider each request carefully to see what its real merit is. Even so, when making specific requests, it would be well to add to each one of them this qualification, if it be thy will. We ask simply that throughout the day, God place in us the best understanding of his will that we can have for that day, and that we be given uh, the grace by which we may carry it out. Right there, that is a wonderful prayer. You know, just taking that one sentence, we ask God throughout the day to place us in the best understanding of his will that we can have for that day, and that we be given the grace by which we may carry that. That's a wonderful uh, prayer to carry around in your hip pocket. It's so simple. Uh, it's so simple, too. I mean, there's no, there's, there's no, it's not complicated whatsoever. Absolutely. They truly believed in, 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 you know, around the time of the writing of this book, and especially the book Alcoholics Anonymous, that they could seek God's will. They believed that they could get, uh, they could get in touch with God's will through in, inspired thoughts, uh, through intuitive, uh, intuitive thoughts. And, and again, they're asking us to develop that capacity with this prayer and meditation so that we can become inspired people. You know, one of the great promises, Monty, in the book Alcoholics Anonymous is that we will become spearheads of God's ever-advancing creation. You know, that's powerful, that's powerful verbiage right there. You know, we're going to be spearheads of God's ever-advancing creation. And to get to that point, to get to that point where you're living an inspired life, you're going to need to become disciplined at step 11, at prayer and meditation. Yeah. As the day goes on, we can pause where situations must be met and decisions made, and renew the simple request, Thy will, not mine, be done. If at these points of our emotional disturbance happens to be great, we will, be, we will more surely keep our balance, provided we remember and repeat to ourselves a particular prayer or phrase that is an appeal to us in our reading or meditation. Just saying it over and over will often enable us to clear a channel choked up with anger, fear, frustration, uh, or misunderstanding and permit us to return to the surest help of all, our search for God's will, not our own, in the moment of stress. At these crucial moments, we remind ourselves that it is better to comfort than to be comforted, to understand than to be understood, 
to love than to be loved. We will be following the intent of step 11. Mm. Of course, it is reasonable and understandable that the question is often asked, why, why can't we take a specific and troubling dilemma straight to God and in prayer secure from Him sure and definite answers to our requests? This can be done, but it has hazards. We have seen AAs ask with much earnestness and faith for God's explicit guidance on matters ranging all the way from a shattering domestic or financial crisis to correcting a minor personal fault like tardiness. Quite often, however, the thoughts that seem to come from God are not answers at all. They prove to be well-intentioned, unconscious rationalizations. The AA, or indeed any man who tries to run his life rigidly by this kind of prayer, by this kind of self-serving demand of God for replies, is a particularly disconcerting individual. To any questioning or criticism of his actions, he instantly proffers his reliance upon prayer for guidance in all matters great and small. He may have forgiven the possibility that his own wishful thinking and the human tendency to rationalize have distorted his so-called guidance. With the best of intentions, he tends to force his own will into all sorts of situations and problems with the comfortable assurance that he's acting under God's specific direction. <laughs> under such an illusion, he can, of course, create great havoc with, without in the least intending it. Oh, you know, wow. <laughs> he, it, you know, he, here's, the, here's the warning. Yes, yes, you can develop that intuitive capacity to, to know without conscious, conscious thought what's the best action to take in any given situation. I believe that you can develop that. But, Bill, not only in the, in the big book, uh, the book Alcoholics Anonymous, but in this book, uh, puts out a warning. And the warning is, is, is be very, very careful with this. Don't allow, you know, your, your unconscious, wishful thinking to become the direct voice of God. Yeah. I'll, I'll give you a for instance where this happened. There was a wonderful, wonderful man. This guy was very important in my life. And uh, he, he was one of my original mentors. Uh, but but listen, any time you ever put somebody on a pedestal uh, in, in the spiritual world, Monty, they, they will knock themselves off because we all fall short in word, thought, and deed uh, on a daily basis. And you bet. I, I think that's part of the human condition. Anyway, this, ind- this individual had just given a, a really strong recovery talk, and somebody came up to him and, and basically you know, asked him a few questions and, and you know, was saying, you know, isn't that incorrect? Isn't what you said incorrect? And, you know, why did you say it like that? And here's basically what he said. He, he said, listen, I'm not in control of what I say. I say a prayer before I talk, and then it's God speaking. And I thought that was, I thought that was rather arrogant. Wow. <laughs> and, and, you know, to, to take that kind of a path. And this, listen, this is somebody that I loved very, very much. He was, he was basically using inspired thought as, uh, you know, as, as an excuse. Listen, I'm inspired. You know, I'm, in, I'm not in charge of what I say. Uh, I'm, a, I'm merely a channel for the spirit, and and again, we can fool ourselves sometimes into thinking that uh, uh, that, that that's that's the case, and, and it, you know, it may it may be, and it may not be, but Bill is telling us to be very very careful uh, uh, when we think that it is. I, and, and I, you know, I had to laugh because uh, I have somebody in my life who I'm extremely close with who decided that they were going to get married after just knowing somebody for a few weeks. <clears throat> and I said, uh, I said, have you prayed about that? You know, I mean, have you really prayed about that? And, and this is a person who, who loves God and, you know, and, uh, 
uh, about a week went by and they said, yeah, I prayed about it. And God said it was okay. And I knew in my gut, just because of how irrational the whole thing, you know, has come to be, that this part of the the 12 and 12 is exactly an example of what this person did. It was their wishful thinking and what they really wanted. And what they wanted wasn't bad. I mean, it was it's a great goal to have. But in the in the desire to have it come to pass in their own timing, their their wishful thinking is what became God's answer. <laughs> and and they're kind, yeah. they're kind of reaping, uh, you know, well, not the benefits. They're, they're reaping a little bit of anxiety there because it's working out OK, but. We we can slow our process of healthy living down by doing that. You know, there's no doubt. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's very, very easy to think things like, uh, this must be God's will for me. But, you know, if you're not, if you're not very, very careful, uh, you, you can get into trouble. It, it may not be God's will for you. It, it may be your will for you. I mean, that happened to me early on. I, I was... Uh, Monty, I was sober about uh, a year and a half, and uh, you know they they say they say no, you know coming out of the treatment center that I was in, they basically said no relationships for the first year. So, so about a year and a half, you know, I start hunting around, <laughs> and and I found God's will for me, okay, or what I thought was God's will for me. I thought that this person was perfect. Oh my, oh my, oh my goodness, this is this is you know this is the. This is my reward for all this hard work, you know, uh, uh, doing all this stuff. And uh, and what what happened? What happened was, uh, uh, you know, I might have thought that uh, they were God's will for me, but they didn't necessarily think the same thing. And it was, yeah, it was okay to spend a little time with this guy, but but I, I'm certainly not going to get serious. <laughs> and and alcohol, alcoholics like sometimes get overly serious. Uh, that's one of the reasons why you got to watch the relationship stuff, because you know you can you can you can become unbelievably bonded and attached, you know, to a crazy degree. And that's kind of what happened to me. And and uh, the relationship ended up blowing up like the Hindenburg. And <laughs> you know, w- one more time, I get to I get to learn a lesson. Uh, you know, this individual is not God's will for me. This individual was my will for me, and you know when I'm when I'm aiming towards things that will help me, I I usually self destruct. When I'm aiming towards things that will help you, I usually benefit. That's one of the paradoxes. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the paradoxes of recovery. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You betcha. Uh, we also fall into another similar temptation. We form ideas as to what we think God's will is for other people. <laughs> we say to ourselves, this one ought to be cured of his fatal malady, or that one ought to be relieved of his emotional pain, and we pray for these specific things. Such prayers, of course, are fundamentally good acts, but often they are based upon the supposition that we know God's will for the person for whom we pray. This means that side by side with an earnest prayer, there can be a certain amount of presumption and conceit in us. It is AA's experience that, particularly in these cases, we ought to pray that God's will, whatever it is, be done for others as well as for ourselves. Um, you know, I, I think that's I think that's true too. We we have to stop playing God. You know, one of the one of the step two, um, step three uh, requirements, Monty. It's a requirement. 
is that we stop playing God. And sometimes when we, we pray for, you know, this thing or that thing or for this person or for that person, you know, we, we are, pray, we are uh, you know, playing God. Uh, how do we know what, what is best uh, for, for someone? You know, how do we know better than God what is best for someone? Uh, you know, that is, that is a, a very large presumption. And in a lot of the prayers, in a lot of the uh, the prayers that Bill uh, puts in in the literature, you can see an absence of, of that. It's more about you know let's pray for God's will, let's pray to be helpful, you know let's pray for the things we're absolutely sure God would want, and God would want us to be helpful and to be able to help His other children. So so let's let's do work that includes getting better at that. There's very little. There's very little in in the prayer and the meditative work uh, uh, about us becoming, you know, uh, becoming richer, uh, or, or or you know, becoming uh, better uh, at at one thing or another. It's 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 more about how helpful can we be. You know, isn't it? You know? Don't you find it interesting, Chris? How here in step eleven, uh, I mean, we it, all the steps are doing this to a degree, but here in step eleven, it, it, it's a lot more obvious that it is preparing us and teaching us how to work with others in step twelve. Yeah, it's getting us ready for that. You yeah, know, that's a that's a good uh, observation. Absolutely, There's, I think I think all of the steps prepare us for yeah. the ultimate step, which is step twelve. You know, it's it's all about getting us. Uh, Getting us, getting us ready. I believe it would be because, and I, I really believe this. I, you know, I don't necessarily think that God's intent for me. I mean, His whole sole purpose for me was uh, to simply get sober and and uh, I wouldn't drink anymore. I, I think He had to get that out of the way so He could teach me the rest of it to use me for the areas that He wanted to use me for that had nothing to do with my drinking. Absolutely, you know that that makes a that makes a whole lot of sense. Uh, I I believe I believe that as well. In AA, we have found that the actual good results of prayer are beyond question. They are matters of knowledge and experience. All those who have persisted have found strength not ordinarily their own. Mm. They have found wisdom beyond their usual capacity, and they have increasingly found a peace of mind which can stand firm in the face of difficult circumstances. Those are three very, very powerful promises. Uh, like, 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 think about that. Wisdom beyond our capacity, uh, peace of mind which can stand firm in the face of circumstances, and strength not ordinarily our own. You know, those are powerful, powerful yeah. things. That, that's a good reason to develop the discipline of prayer and meditation. Mm -hmm. And I, I can't say that enough, the discipline of prayer and meditation. This is a discipline. You have to become disciplined at it. it you know, you're not going to get this stuff through osmosis. This is not going to happen to you by you just, you know, waiting for it to happen. You need to develop a, a, a discipline. Uh, spirituality is a discipline. It really is. We discover that we do receive guidance for our lives to just about the extent that we stop making demands upon God to give it to us on order and on our terms. Almost any experienced AA will tell how his affairs have taken remarkable and unexpected turns for the better as he tried to improve his conscious contact with God. He will also report that out of every session, 
season of grief or suffering, when the hand of God seemed heavy or even unjust, new lessons for living were learned, new resources of courage were uncovered, and that finally, inescapably, the conviction came that God does move in mysterious ways his wonders to perform. You know, I, I can't tell you, and Monty, I know that this is, this is your experience also, I can't tell you how many people uh, have experienced uh, absolutely amazing, uh, amazing things once they started to grow spiritually. Once they started to practice um, these uh, these these disciplines, uh, you know, oh you know what I'm saying. God. I can't tell you how many people have uh, have experienced power in their lives, change in their lives when they weren't really looking to improve those areas of their life. They were looking to improve their contact with God or their spiritual life. And it's through the, the, uh, the practice and attainment of a spiritual life that all these other things are given unto you. you know? Yeah, yeah, that's, so, and that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a whole biblical concept, too. And, and, you know, and I, I think it's probably in every major uh, uh, spiritual circle in the world, you're going to have that cause and effect thing. You know, the the Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and then all these other things uh, will happen. And uh, I think probably in uh, in most of your major religions, that, you know, some people call that cause and effect, some people call that karma, some people call that reap what you sow. Uh, you know, I mean, we have different semantics for it. But it, it's I think it's a universal law, don't you? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, what, what you give out, you, you get back. It's uh, a very, very old and, and uh, absolutely true uh, spiritual law. And it is. It, it's biblical, and, it, and every spiritual tr- tradition has it. So, uh, you know, I, I definitely, uh, definitely believe yeah. it. Uh, all this should be very encouraging news for those who uh, recoil from prayer because they don't believe in it or because they feel themselves cut off from God's help and direction. All of us, without exception, pass through times when we can pray only with the greatest exertion of will. Occasionally we go even further than this. We are seized with a rebellion so sickening that we simply won't pray. When these things happen, we should not think too ill of ourselves. We should simply resume prayer as soon as we can, doing what we know to be good for us. Uh, You know, Monty, there's a couple of real spiritual classics that I love. Uh, um, St. John of the Cross uh, wrote The Dark Night of the Soul. That's, that's one of them. Um, uh, and that book is about, uh, about the uncertainty that can, that can come into someone's life when they're earnestly and honestly seeking uh, to know God better. There, there almost seems to be uh, pitfalls and trials and tribulations and and things that, you know, uh, that, that, that seem on the surface to impact one's beliefs and one's spirituality in a negative way. Uh, and these are all part of spiritual growth. It's important to know that these times of uncertainty, it's important to know that these times of agnosticism and these times of really not believing that God is really there for us, it's important to know that, that those, those, those dark nights of the soul, those clouds of unknowing, uh, are important uh, milestones in our spirituality. We're, we're going to uh, we're touch some of those. Most of us touch 
those on our on our spiritual quest, and and we should we should understand them for what they are. They're they're periods uh, of our sobriety. They're they're you know uh, they're they're the winter of our sobriety uh, and our spirituality, and we need to just continue. To, to, that's one of the reasons why this is a discipline, because it'll feel like none of this is real and none of it's paying off. Yet we need to hold true to the discipline, and then we'll come out of that season of winter, or we'll come out from the dark clouds, and we'll realize that uh, that we were only made stronger through those trials and those tribulations. Does that make any sense? Yeah, and and listen to how how kind and compassionate he even says this. He says, when these things happen. We should not think too ill of ourselves. We should simply resume prayer as soon as we can, doing what we know to be good for us. I mean, he's not beating us up, saying, well, you ought to know better than that. You know, what's wrong with you? He just, he's very compassionate. And I, and I suspect that's probably because of his own experience. Uh, I would think, I would think, you know, he, he listen, he suffered from what would be, uh, diagnosed today as clin- clinical depression. Yeah. There were many, many uh, times when he just he pulled the covers over his head, and he would not get out of bed. You know, for days at a time. This was this was Bill. You know, he he, he suffered so much from this uh, this type of depression, and uh, you know, uh, again, uh, um, he hung in there. He always hung in there, and he always continued to go back to. These uh, these disciplines and make sure that uh, you know he continued to practice the, the prayer and the meditation. Yeah, uh, you know what I mean. He yeah. was he was a he was a great uh, ex- exponent of all this. All this should be very encouraging news uh, for those who recoil from prayer. Oh, I'm sorry, I read that already. Perhaps one of the greatest rewards of meditation and prayer is the sense of belonging that comes to us. We no longer live in a completely hostile world. We are no longer lost and frightened and purposeless. The moment we catch even a glimpse of God's will, the moment we begin to see truth, justice, and love as the real and eternal things in life, we are no longer deeply disturbed by all the seeming evidence to the contrary that surrounds us in purely human affairs. We know that God lovingly watches over us. We know that when we turn to Him, all will be well with us here and hereafter. You know, all most of the most of the great spiritual masters of the past, Monty, all had one thing to say, and that was "all is well." You know, mm-hmm. hold on, hold on to the love of God, and all will be well. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes I had a sponsor. I never understood what he meant by this till years later. But my first sponsor used to say, "Sometimes you just have to hold on to the couch." You know, <laughs> and I, I found that to be true. And especially uh, when I went through my surgeries. Oh, my gosh. I mean, you know, I, I tell you what was so remarkable about that is regardless of how awful that whole thing was and, and the withdrawal from the pain medication and everything deep down inside of me, something had happened uh, earlier on in my recovery that gave me an assurance and a peace in the midst of the storm. It was that that serenity that my my current sponsor, that everybody calls him Serenity Jay, because he always introduces himself by saying, "Hi, I'm Jay." <clears throat> he says, "I'm uh, uh, I'm celebrating Serenity today, and I don't have the the desire or or uh, uh, tug on my heart to to drink and so forth and so on." And they said, "Well, how can somebody have Serenity every single day?" 
And they're not hearing what he says because he's not saying he's necessarily happy or that he feels good or anything. But he has that 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 inner calmness inside of him that says, "All is well with my soul." Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that is such a gift because isn't that after all after all the turmoil we've been through, isn't that something we're seeking? Isn't that something we really want? I mean, who wouldn't want to have that? You know, I mean, gee. And when you have that, uh, which you can have, I believe I don't believe that the big book uh, and hundreds of spiritual writings all over the world would suggest that you can obtain it if you couldn't. And the deal of it is, when you have that, uh, you can give that away. You can share and let other people know that they can have it too. And heavens knows, we live in a world today... Uh, that the tendency is to be extremely stressed out, no inner peace, no calmness, go to bed stressed, wake up stressed, and everything from heart disease to addiction uh, is running rampant because of it. And it doesn't have to be that way, does it, Chris? No, no, absolutely not. You know, you, you uh, the one of the one of the views of someone with good recovery is that they can get through unbelievably tough times, you know, relatively unscathed emotionally. That they, they don't necessarily suffer emotionally. You know, of course they feel pain and, and, and yeah. of course sometimes it's uncomfortable, but uh but you you know, you know that there's uh, there's an ultimate meaning at the end of it all. Yeah. Right on. You know you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, that's such that's such good news. And I I am so glad that we're about the the business of spreading good news. I I, I was uh, uh, before we close here. I just wanted to, to mention I I was uh, scrolling through my Facebook the other day, and uh, sometimes it's it jumps out at me more than others. But just the the terrible just attitudes of people and just the language and the 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 mean spiritedness and so forth. Then all then all of a sudden you'll come across something that's that's really spiritually sound and you go ah it's like a nice cup of cold water but you can really see social networking today has really exposed people's inner feelings thoughts and uh, intentions and yeah wow wow and there was uh, a whole bunch of people just ripping on this poor guy that had just been released from jail and saying what a scumbag he is and how they're going to beat the daylights out of him when they see him if he comes into a meeting and i'm just like oh lord have mercy i am so glad that 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 isn't who i am today and and so thankful that there are many Many, 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 many people who have done an about face and are not like that because of this wonderful thing we call recovery, this wonderful book, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, these steps, and this God that uh, does for us what we can't do for ourselves. Oh, I totally agree. Yeah. Amen. All right. Well, another great show, uh, uh, another great segue into the next step, which next week will be, of course, step 12. Um, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of all this stuff we've been talking about. It's going to be a, a great thing, and there's, of course, more to it than, than that, but more with uh, Chris Schroeder as we wrap up the 12-step portion of uh, walking through the 12 steps and 12 traditions. And then a uh, week after that, Lord willing and the creek don't rise, as my grandfather used to say, uh, we'll be delving into the 12 traditions. Yeehaw!
Yeah, looking forward to it. All right, folks, until our next broadcast, this is the Monty Man along with Chris. We're wishing God serenity for you. Bye-bye. This has been a broadcast of KHLT Recovery Broadcasting.